The following audio is from Hope Hill Church. To learn more about Hope Hill Church, please visit hopehillchurch.org. I'm so excited for our new series. We are going to be providing for each of you a copy of the book of John. Now, this is a special copy, and our ushers will be around to pass those out in a minute. And I would like each individual to have one because we want you to use this to take notes. Uh, we're going to dive through, take a dive into, and work our way through the entire book of John. Uh, it's probably going to take us about a year to do so, uh, so we want you to, uh, to buckle up, to get ready for a great drive, a great adventure as we do this. Our usher is going to come through, and we love, again, uh, moms, dads, uh, don't share one, take one. We want these to be your notes, your prayer guide, your way of digging in for yourself into the Word of God, and bring it back each week. We'll kind of pick up, and we'll go kind of page by page together, so uh, if you really like this kind of thing, uh, there's actually a journal like this for every book of the Bible now, all in the same series, so you can have a whole library of uh, individual books that make up the 66 books of the Bible. So, John, the Gospel of John, why are we doing this? One, uh, I thought I would teach you a book that I wrote, so <laughs> I'm just joking. Um, that was not a funny joke. Anyway, I could be struck down. God, I'm sorry. Claiming that I, uh, yeah, anyway, um, I, it, it is a beautiful picture. So in the Bible, we have this collection of books called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are referred to as the synoptic Gospels. What you'll find in, in, in those three Gospels are many of the same stories told often in the same chronological order. Uh, at the beginning of each of those, you'll have kind of like gene- genealogy, kind of broken out, kind of showing the background of Jesus. you got the story of the virgin birth. you got the story of the wise men and the shepherds and the angels. Uh, John is very different. He just dives right in, pointing to us who Jesus is. And ultimately, that is John's heartbeat. For this entire book, he kind of lays out the purpose for us, not in the front of the book, but in the back of the book. So if you have your your book as you get them, turn to page 120. It's John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, on page number 120. As you turn there, I'll continue my intro. So so in this study of John, we're going to see an intimate picture of who Jesus is. John was one of the closest friends of Jesus. There are a lot of Johns in the Bible. There's John the baptizer, who we're going to learn about next week. Uh, But the guy who wrote the book, was one of Jesus' closest friends. He spent Jesus' last three years of life walking with him, living life with him, seeing Jesus heal. He writes about seven key miracles. He writes about seven key statements that Jesus said about himself called the I am statements, very short statements that are full of meaning and power. And so we're going to see Jesus in some intimate ways. We're going to see Jesus and our minds are going to be blown by the way that he encounters and, and exchanges with the sinners of the time. Uh, The Synoptic Gospels many times called Jesus a friend of sinners. Oftentimes he was called a drunkard because he would spend so much time uh, where where people were partying and drinking and overeating. And and, and Jesus came, the scriptures tell us, for the sick. Uh, Many of the religious leaders of the day criticized him and said, why are you spending so much time with with these sinners? And Jesus said, you know, I've come. A doctor doesn't come for the healthy. He comes for the sick. And Jesus, in a way that only he can, came to show love, to show compassion, to show mercy as he often did, giving up his life in exchange for ours. And so we're going to see this unfold 
in the pages uh, that John has written for us. And, and I'm real excited. I want you to follow along with me as we go. And we're going to start in John chapter 20, uh, uh, verse 30 and 31, on page 120 in this book. Got it. So, uh, in college classes, many times there is a syllabus. And in the syllabus, it gives kind of um, what you're going to learn in that, in that class. Uh, many times it talks about that dreaded term paper, that thing that I would often put off until the, the last 24 hours of the semester. And, um, and, and in a great term paper, you need a thesis statement. A thesis statement is a statement by which uh, gives meaning and purpose and direction uh, to the paper. And everything written in the paper is going to support that thesis statement. We have a thesis statement from John. And it's written in John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. Let me read it for us. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these ones. Now, John, his, his, he's going to record some stories that aren't found in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. He's going to record some stories, some, some, some movements of God, some, some, some sayings of Jesus that aren't written anywhere else. And he has a purpose. The reason that he has collected these things in these pages serves one purpose. These are written that you may, say it with me, believe. I want you in your Bible, in your, in your handout this morning, I want you to circle that word, believe. We're going to see that word over and over again through these pages. The main purpose of all of these writings is so that we may believe. Now, we live in a day and an age and a culture where belief is important. Oprah uh, is the queen of believism. And in many ways, it doesn't matter what you believe in. We're encouraged to have faith in anything, to have faith in something. All that really matters is that you believe. Uh, there was an atheist on Oprah's show, and, and she was trying to convince even this atheist that, that, that it was important for the atheist to believe. And so she asked him, you know, what, what is it that you believe in? What, what inspires you? What, what causes you to feel awe in your, in your spirit? And he was like, I just love being out in nature, looking out at mountain peaks, standing on the edge of a seashore and looking at the endless waves. And, and, and she said, then, then for you, you believe. You, you believe in nature and creation and the majesty of, of, of our world. While those words sound pretty, they can, oh, she's such a compassionate person, and she can lead people to see that the, the true thing about life is being nice and believing. It's not enough just to believe. It's important that we know what we're believing in. And John goes on to say, I've written these things not so that you'll just have belief for belief's sake, but so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus Christ. Christ was not Jesus' last name. Christ is a title. In the Old Testament, it means Messiah. The Old Testament prophets and, 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 and those who lived in the Old Testament were longing and waiting for the coming of a king who would set them free. Jesus was that Christ. It means Messiah. He was the one to come to be the solution to the brokenness in our world and the sin that we struggle with. Jesus is our Messiah. I've written these things so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and not just not just a, a moral teacher, not just a great philosopher, not just a, a, an important individual in history, but he is the Messiah 
who is also the image of God, the son of God. We're going to see that word over and over again. It, it doesn't mean the same thing as, as us being called children of God. In John chapter 1, verse 12, we're going to see that if we believe in God, then God gives us the right to be called his children. But, but God, Jesus, is the offspring. He is the image of the invisible God. He is God. We're going to see that broken down in chapter 1 in a minute. John wants us to see plainly and clearly that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God. And the reason we need to believe is that by believing in him, we will have life. Apart from Jesus, there is no life. Well, I have a lot of friends who don't know Jesus, but they have a great life. So turn with me now to the beginning. I wanted to lay down that foundation statement, that, that thesis, if you will, of the purpose of the book of John is written so that we may believe believe in Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah, and that we would put our belief in him as our Christ, as our Messiah, that he is not just a good teacher, another great historical figure, but that he is God in flesh, that he is the son, the image bearer of God himself, and that in believing in him, we will find life. So let's start at the beginning. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. Circle that. The Word was with God. Circle that phrase, with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning. So circle the word he. Who is the he referring to? The Word, right? talking about the word. The word is the subject of the last sentence. Is that correct? If not, he is now the word. He, in mine, I've got lines drawn and connected with dots. He is the word. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Who's the him? It's the he at the beginning of chapter two. I mean, verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, he, the word. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So I'm going to try and break down each of those five verses with us today. So uh, let's go. In the beginning was the Word. So if you go to the very beginning of the Bible, if you have your other Bible, your, your full Bible with you, you don't have time to turn there today. If you go to Genesis 1-1, the very first book of the Bible, you have the very first sentence. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The word God in Genesis is Elohim. There are many different names of God. A couple summers ago, we did a whole series on the names of God. Elohim speaks to the plurality, the plural nature of God, the triune God. We have one God that exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, who we're, we're looking at directly here, and God the Holy Spirit. They're not three gods. And, and that, this can be really hard to understand. It can be really hard to try to explain 
and, and I'm not sure, I don't, even, I don't have time to try to do it this morning. But in the beginning, there was God. So when did Jesus begin? Well, wait a minute, Jesus' name isn't here yet. How do we know this is Jesus? You know, I circled the word he in, in, in verse 2. If you drop down to verse 14, it says, And the word became flesh. The word. I have a line drawn from that H down to the word down there. The word became flesh. God was in the beginning. Who was God? God is Jesus. How do we know that's Jesus? He became flesh. We know that Jesus came. He was born of a virgin Mary. He lived 33 years. He in our place. On Sunday, he resurrected, conquering sin and death and victory. He was in the beginning. He has no beginning. Before the world be, was, Jesus was. Jesus is not the byproduct of of, of the Holy Spirit and Mary. Yes, he was born through Mary, but he existed before Mary was even created because he created Mary. Wait, how do we get that? Everything that was made was made, and nothing that, and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus made everything. He made you. He made this world. He made the universe. The very nails that held him to the cross created and forged by the substance that he made. When the soldiers spit in his face, Jesus made the plant that produced that saliva. There is nothing that is that Jesus did not make. He is from the beginning. He was with God, the Father, God, the Spirit, because, and he is God. He was in the beginning. And John wants us to, he, John's like, you know what, they don't need to care about whoever begot, who, you know, Matthew took care of all that. John dives right in. I want everybody to know plainly that Jesus was not just born of Joseph and Mary. He is God. And he irons that out for us plainly here. In the beginning, Jesus is Christ, he is the Son of God, and Jesus puts on flesh. Now this is foundational. There are many Christian-like beliefs out there. Uh, both Jehovah's Witness and Mormons believe, um, they'll say they believe in the God of our Bible. But Mormons believe that Jesus was a spirit baby of a God who was formed by another God on another planet. It's crazy. Um, and, and Mormons are, are, are far from uh, believing what we believe, and, and they believe that Jesus was just a spirit baby. Uh, Jesus was the brother of Lucifer who became Satan. And um, if you dive into Mormonism, it's very different. On the, on the outside, uh, we're the Church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints. Yeah, it sounds all Christian-y, but it's completely different. Uh, Jehovah's Witness believe that Jesus was an archangel, the first angel created by God. And that, yeah, Jesus created everything, but he was an angel that created everything. They don't believe that Jesus was God. Jesus is God. Jesus is God in flesh. Jesus has always existed. Jesus is the force of God that made everything. Jesus is God. The other thing that, the other reason why we have Jesus is because Jesus, um, how many of you have had to try to have a conversation with someone that likes to talk in their head? Does that make sense? 
that that's me. I do a lot of conversating in my head. Um, ask Nathan when we meet to plan worship, and he asks me a question, and I'm just sitting there like, I'm having a full-blown conversation. I'm just not opening up my mouth. And um, ask Brandy. If you want, ask anybody who works with me. Ask Donna. There are many times you're like, I wish we could just get in your head to see what you're thinking. And, 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 and sometimes it's hard to know what, we're, what, what someone's thinking. How do we know what's in the mind and heart of God? How can we know what God cares about? How can we know what God feels about X, Y, or Z? How can we know the, the heartbeat of God? We can look to Jesus. Jesus is the spoken word of God. God become flesh. Jesus came so that we can have, uh, know beyond shadow of a doubt who God is, how he loves, how he lives, how he wants us to love, how he wants us to live. Colossians 1.15 tells us that he is the image of the invisible God. Write that in your margin and we'll look it up later. Colossians 1.15. You want to know what God is like? You know what you want to know how God feels about things in this world? You want to know what God works at, what he delights in? Get your eyes on Jesus. And all of that will be answered for you. Frederick Bruner, uh, one of the commentators that I read, puts it like this. We long to know who God is and what God thinks and does. In Jesus, his most personal word, God's most personal word, God has spoken to us in the most human way possible, giving us his innermost thoughts and heart in deeds that are as profound as his word. And the believing human race has experienced deep help ever since. Many of us, we think of God as one who's come to judge and condemn the world. Many of us, we think of God and we think of somebody who's disappointing. We, we, have, we can't quite measure up. The sins and struggles and habits that we deal with, we, that trip us up all the time, we think that God is somehow, man, I can't believe you did that, guys. There is nothing that surprises God. God knows every sin, knows every struggle, knows every temptation because the scriptures tell us in the book of Hebrews that he is an empathetic minister, an empathetic priest who knows and understands every temptation we've ever had. And so when he sees us in our struggle, he's not there to condemn us. John 3, 16, 17, 18 tells us that he loved the world and in him there is life and we won't perish and that he did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. So Jesus, we're going to see him step into the midst of, of this world and he's going to encounter a Pharisee who sneaks out late at night and says, you know what, I've been living my life trying to measure up to this law, the 613 commandments, and I can't measure up. How do I find life? How do I find power? How do I get to heaven? And Jesus is going to not reject him and say, you know, you're a religious zealot. You're leading people astray. Get out of my life. You're the reason I'm here. Instead, he accepts him, invites him, and tells him how to be born again, how to discover true life. We're going to see him encounter the woman at the well who sneaks out at the well in the middle of the day when all the other women have already come and gone because she's ashamed and embarrassed of the lifestyle that she's been living. And Jesus is going to not confront her and condemn her, but to tell her how to have true life and to love her. And she goes back and says, I want to tell you about a man who told me everything I did, and yet he loved me. We have a God in Jesus who is a God of compassion and love and mercy. 
my prayer is that by the grace of God uh, and our divine imagination, that we could see the warmth of his eyes staring into the, the, the depth of human failure while all the time knowing that he is going to be enough to cover us. Verse 3, we see that aspect of, of Jesus as the creator. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. One commentator I was reading uh, put it like this. If we could somehow take a spiritual microscope and look into the innermost parts of our being, and you could get down to the, the, the smallest of cells, you could find the inscription, made by Jason. It's kind of crazy to think about it, but when you think that there is everything that you are, everything that is, it was all made by him. And, and God wasn't just, you know, in a workshop, distant and removed, and made it like deists believe and then set it into motion, being removed from it. God is a God who wants to be intimately involved in his act of creation, day in and day out, moment by moment. We were made by him. We were made by him. Actually, the, um, the passage that I want you to see in Colossians 1.16 makes it beautiful. It says in Colossians 1.16, For by him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. You weren't just created by Jesus. We were created for Jesus. And so many of us, we live life trying to find meaning and purpose and success in the things of this world. We're living for that promotion. And some of us will get it. Some of us, we're living for that car. We're living for that first house. We're living for that relationship. And, and some of us will get those things, but we'll find over and over again in our life when we are trying to live this life for the next thing, for the next promotion, for the, the family that we have, when we're living for the things, any other thing, fill in the blank, when we're living for anything but Jesus, we will never truly be fully satisfied. We are made by Jesus and for Jesus. Everything else is just a part of that plan. Everything else that brings us excitement and happiness, it may, it may, may, it may be there and we may celebrate it and that's good. It's good to realize that there are good things that God sends, but, but the, the, the joy won't linger. The joy won't last. We can only find true life and true meaning in realizing that we are created by him and for him. He is the Christ. He is the creator. He is the king of the universe, and he became flesh, and we are made by him. And if this is true, and it is true, believe me, you have a God who loved you and made you. And knowing this and embracing this truth, then this should help us understand so much why we're not happy with the things of this world. Why no matter how hard we try, we can't be fulfilled and 
the relationships we have. You know, many uh, we hear this all the time in, in romance stories that uh, they complete, you know, the only person that complete you is Jesus. You weren't made to complete one another. You're made to be on a journey together towards the one who can complete all of us. It is only in him that we can truly find life. Augustine put it like this. You move us to delight in praising you. For you have made us for yourself. And our hearts will be restless until they find their rest there are many things that we praise about. We, we, we thank God for scholarships. Any parents out there sending kids to college? Thank you, Jesus, for scholarships. Thank you for, there, uh, for that new car. Mike just got a brand new fit. He's excited about it. Uh, there are a lot of things in this life, a lot of blessings that we can be grateful for. But is our focus and our praise on the things in this life that we feel make us happy or on the one who the blessings come from? Let us be moved to delight in praising Jesus. Knowing that it is in him that we find life. Knowing that it is in him that we find purpose and meaning. In him was life. In him. Not just believing in him once. Okay, I have one day have eternal life. But eternal life starts here and now. I have come that you may have life abundant, life to the full. Do you have that? Are you still searching for that meaning, for that fulfillment, for that satisfaction? Life and purpose are always found in Jesus. Verse 4. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Light comes to shine in the darkness. 1 John 1 tells us that God is light, and in him there is no darkness. Jesus stepped into our darkness to shine his light. We're told in John chapter 1 that men love darkness more than the light because of our deeds, the fear of being exposed. But Jesus sees it all already. And he doesn't stand there condemning and judging. He stands there saying, I know your struggles and I am here to help you. I'm here to love you. I'm here to give you hope. I'm here to help you overcome that which keeps entangling you. He is here to bring us life. To bring us life. Over and over again in the Gospels, Jesus is referred to as the friend of sinners. He is here to help. He is an empathetic high priest. In the book of John, we're going to see a Jesus full of empathy and grace being tempted in every way that we were tempted, yet without sin, not condemning, but saying, I know you. I know your struggles, and I'm here to help. Bruner says this. Frederick Bruner is one of the commentators that I'll be reading as we go through this study. He says, come into union with the word who made you. Come into union with the word who made you, and you will come to life. You came from him. Please come back to him. You were made for him. The 
the result of this reunion will be more than just human existence. It will be human life. The kind of life that we all desire is only truly fulfilled when we turn away from the truth and the lie. Verse 5, as we wrap things up and bring things to a close, verse 5 says, That light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. A lot of the talk up till now of verse 1 through 4 is is about the past. But in the Greek, this word shine is not something in the past. It's a continuation. Shine, circle that word S. The light didn't come at one point in time and shine, exposing darkness. But the light of Jesus still shines today. It shines on. In the Greek, it's still shining. The light is shining in the darkness. And the darkness did not overcome it. There was a lot of darkness that was setting itself to stop the light from coming. Sin. A broken world. A broken world system. A government. Rome. Looking at Jesus as a threat. Wanting him taken out. The religious, broken religion of the day. The Pharisees and the Sadducees plotting against Jesus. There's very few times in history where government and and religion agree. On this they did. They both knew they had to take out Jesus. We had sin. We had the demonic powers, the work of Satan. And I'm not saying there's a demon under every bush, but there's a demon under many. And the works of the power of, of Satan and the devil were working together to keep God's light from shining. And they came together, and even the disciples themselves... Judas betraying Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Peter denying Christ three times the night he was arrested. Most of the other disciples running and turning tail and hiding out of fear of what might happen to them. All of the world system, all of the sin of the world, all of the powers of darkness, the political realm of the day, the religion, broken religion of the day, all looked to Jesus and said, we are taking you out. But what happened? The light shined in the darkness and still shines today. On Sunday, Jesus conquered sin and death and Satan and religion and politics and everything that is broken, and his light still shines today in the hearts of all who would receive it. To shine in the midst of your dark trial, your dark storm, to give you direction when you don't know where to go, to give you hope when you have no hope. Jesus' light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not, cannot overcome it. There is no darkness too dark for the light of Jesus to pierce and shine through. All of it was conquered in the resurrection. And the light shone in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. John is assuring the readers that the light shines And even on the failures of the disciples, over the power of sin and death, over the power of Satan, over the power of a secular world, over the power of an empty controlling religion, into the souls of sons and daughters of those who put their belief in him, our faith in him. So where are you with him? Do you know this Jesus, the Christ? of the invisible God, 
My next question is, it's not enough just to know, are you living in him? In him, we will find life. Have you surrendered your heart to him? Have you invited Jesus, the creator of all things, to live and be in you? His creation, his sons and daughters. In closing, I want to reread what Frederick Bruner said. Come into union with the word who made you, and you will come to life. You came from him, please come back to him. You were made for him. The result of this reunion will be more than just human existence. It will be human life. We were made by Jesus and for Jesus. God made all things. He even made science. I don't know all my grammar, all my science, all my math, but I was blown away a couple years ago when I saw a teaching by Louis Giglio on a thing called laminin. How many of you know what laminin is? Raise your hand if you know what laminin is. All right. If you Google laminin, you will be blown away. Laminin is a scientific, uh, it's a protein. Who said that? It's a protein that holds everything of who we are together. All our cells, all our different things in us are held together by a a biological agent that holds things together. The scripture tells us that it is in Jesus that all things are held together. The scriptures say that, that he made all things in in him is life and he holds all things together. So I, I, God, we have a humorous God who I'm sure ages and ages and eons and eons ago when he started to make everything, he put little things into place that one day we would get advanced enough to be able to look through with um, electron microscopes and be able to see uh, really small things that God made. And I'm sure God was like, I can't wait till they see this. They're going to get a kick out of this. So this, this, this scientist comes up to Louis Giglio and says, have you ever looked into laminin? Igliol's like, what? He's like, just Google laminin. It's the building block of everything that makes us human. It holds everything together. Go home and Google laminin. Wait, you know what? We'll do it for you. Mason, Google laminin. Do you see that? That's not just some artist's rendition. Is that the right word? That's not just some random drawing. When you look in, you you see the black and white picture, more images? Show us some more, Mason. Now, do you see that? Throughout history, this symbol has been a, 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 a symbol pointing to who? And this is the building block that holds us together. Now, yeah, it's just a, a shape of a cross, and some of you are like, no, that's not what it is. I think it's awesome. Even the shape of 
and, and it, it's just crazy that the tail is longer than the head and there's two arms. And I mean, it, you can't deny that that isn't somehow pointing to the cross. Maybe you can deny it, but I'm not going to listen to that. Jesus holds all these together. The only way we can find life is in him. Do you know him as the source of your life? Do you know him as your creator? Do you know him as your savior? Do you know him as the one who came to forgive you and to set you free and to give your life purpose and meaning and joy and abundance? If you don't, today you can. Today is the day of salvation as you are saved. Today is the day to be born again. All you have to do is believe in your heart that he died for you. All you have to do is believe in your heart that you accept him as Savior and Lord and confess with your mouth that you want him to be your Lord. Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that you will be saved. He is a God who is the creator and the Savior who loves you and wants you to love him. Father God, we thank you for being a God who loves us, a God who sustains us, a God who who, who, who made us. And we are grateful that you're not a distant and aloof God, but a God that wants a loving, intimate relationship with us, your creation. So God, I pray right now for those of us who know you as Savior, who know you as Lord, who know you as Creator, that we would be renewed daily, that we would learn to die daily to ourselves and be made daily alive in you. That we would find purpose and meaning in every area of our life in you. Everywhere we sleep, play, study, shop, everywhere we go, that we would see you in the center. That we would see you as the light. I also pray right now for those who may be in this room and this is a bit much for them. Maybe you're sitting here today and you would say, Pastor John, I'm not sure where I am with all of this. I'm not sure where I stand with God. I want you to know that there is a God who loves you and is willing to forgive you no matter what has ever happened in your life. And he wants to pour his love into your life, to bless you, to give your life purpose and meaning give you whatever mistakes or hurts or hang-ups you have in your life. He's here for you today. He's he's just waiting for you to call to him. He wants to come into your life and fill you, forgive you, make you new. If you're here this morning and you say, Pastor John, I need that. I need his presence in my life. I need his forgiveness. I believe he died for me on the cross. I want him to come in and forgive me and to give my life purpose and meaning. I call out to him today. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? I'd love to offer up a prayer for you. Raise your hand today, Pastor John. I invite Jesus into my heart. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. Anyone? Just raise your hand. Call out to him. Father God, I thank you for your love. I thank you for being a God who pursues us. God who came to save us, a God who came to step into the mess of our world and to make sense of it and to give us purpose and meaning and direction. 
pray, Lord Jesus, that you would learn 